Hello everybody and welcome back to the Shuttlepod. Today it's just just two members of the Shuttlepod, Kayla and me, Brian. Hey everyone. So, we're here to talk about the hottest thing going in the Star Trek fandom at the moment. The third season of Picard. And we're gonna give our general reactions to it and then maybe get a little more into granular, granular detail about it. But first, our general reactions. So Kayla, tell me what your reaction is to the first two episodes of Picard. Yeah, so there's two that have aired. My gener general reaction is very positive, um, guardedly so, I would say. Mm -hmm. I'm still, like, I am wounded, <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm scarred. I'm emotionally scarred from, like, having hopes really built up and then pretty dashed. Yes. And one of the reasons I'm especially guarded, despite my very positive um, feelings about the first two episodes, is that a lot of the new live action Trek series are great at a hook. They set up this season wonderfully. They they have this, you know, these things that we're wondering about, these characters that we're interested in learning about. And then it feels like there's really, there was never a plan to right. end the story like they had this great idea for the beginning of a story and then they like did just made it up as they went along and then the end made no sense um so that's my biggest fear for this season i don't think it's gonna be that um and no, we can go into some some details as to why but um one of the things that i like about this compared to the previous seasons is it doesn't feel like a mystery box there's a little bit of that in smaller doses, but which there is isn't okay. the, which is okay. You need some hooks, right? But right. I mean, it is 10 like, episodes. So yeah, but there's not this, like there's this, this thing that happened all over the universe and we're going to spend the whole season like figuring out what it is. And it's going to tie into the characters backstories somehow. And something and then not make any sense in the end so it right. doesn't feel like that which i like i agree i agree with everything you said i i think a lot of people have that kind of scar tissue that you're discussing including myself i think we all you know you almost it's like it feels like around episode four of these shows it starts to tilt mm -hmm. in, a bad, in yeah. a bad way but i tend to feel that that's not going to happen here um even the 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 feeling of it is so much different than the first two seasons. And it's not because of the fan service either. It's like, it's just the, it's almost the tempo and the way the show is written. Oh, I agree. The tempo is very different and it's less like jarring. Yes. And it just, and it almost has more of a Star Trek feel to it. Like, I, like there's like these nice quiet spots. Like in the first episode that Picard and Laris just talking about whether he should go, you know, to go help rescue Beverly and stuff. And it's like, there's been a lot of in, in a lot of these shows there's been a lot of conversations that feel like they're occurring between two people that are not necessarily adults mm -hmm. it's like the the conversations that you would get are just all emotional like soap opera right and like watching just watching picard and laris have this conversation that is very mature two very mature adults having making very mature decisions about themselves and what's coming up for them that alone all by itself was a huge tip right right at the beginning of the show 
It was like, oh, okay, yeah. that, this feels right. And there's like they brought back more of a there's more of a romantic feel to the the space travel. It's like, I mean, I want to go into this a little bit. Terry Metalis, as I think it should be well known by now, is show running this season himself. There's no Akiva Goldsman. There's no Michael Shabon. This is Terry's show from top soup to nuts. This is Terry <laughs> Metalis's baby, and at least from the get go, in terms of the general vibe and the tempo of the writing, it's very clear that Terry gets it. I mean, even like, even knowing enough to like fetishize the Titan moving out of space dock and letting the music swell as it's coming out and just lingering on the ship for a while. That kind of, we eat that shit up. It was like a modern, the motion picture. It is, but, but we eat that stuff up, especially the starship nerds. They're like sitting yeah. at home going, ah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh-huh. Terry knows that. Yeah. Cause Terry is one of us. Yeah. And I have to say like, that was also, <clears throat> we've talked about this um, like off the air about, Terry's leadership of this and that that was a like a made a lot of people I know at Trek movie very hopeful for it because what he's shown us has been so good yes I was a little worried because he is such a big fan and you know I used to think you have to be a fan of Trek to do Trek and now I really 100% disagree with that statement um not saying that you can't be a fan but a lot of times when I've seen people come in who are like uber fans of Trek that's not enough. That's not sufficient. No, I agree. It, I or agree. necessary, I think. The number one thing you have to right. be is a good storyteller. And a good no, no I agree. Nicholas Meyer is a good example of that. Exactly. It's exactly who I was fan. thinking of. And right. he's become a fan of the show, of the sort of heart and soul of the show. And he's someone who now gets it. But when he made the Ralph Khan, he, he didn't. He didn't right. get what Star Trek was. Right, right. He connected to the whole Horatio Hornblower aspect of it. And that was his access point. That's how he got into it. But no, I agree with you. It cannot, being a fan is not enough. Like you have to have an under, elemental understanding of what makes it tick under the under the surface. Yeah, and yeah, like I, the soul of Trek. The soul of Trek, and, I, and I'm not seeing we're seeing that with both with Terry and even the way the production design is now set up. It just feels the even the ship's designs have become more um, less like we've seen in this era, and they have more of a combination maybe of the john eves and maybe a little bit of the andrew probert vibe from the movies and from the tng it's like it feels like much more of a normal evolution of of what we saw from the end of tng up until now it's like okay yeah i could see where we've been 30 years and we're at this point now okay i get that the bridge the bridges look like a natural progression of what would have happened 30 years after the titan a is dope as hell yeah i think the titan's a big hit it's so retro, I think. I'm not like a Star Trek nerd, so I'm probably going to have the wrong opinions, <laughs> wrong opinions about it. But to me, I was like, oh, that's like very Constitution classy. Yeah. yeah. Well, the primary hull is like, especially the, the front of it is almost like exactly like the refit. Yeah, that's what I had in mind when I saw it. And I was like, this is gorgeous. I love yeah. it. Yeah. No, it, it owes more to the movie series than it does to TNG, the Titan. There's no question. Yeah, and I've heard that from a lot of fans. So let, let's talk about a little bit about the fan service aspect of, especially episode one, because right. I think that was a huge dividing line with the fans. There's a lot of people who said, you know, I hate this because there's so much fan service and it's not, it's it's like they did, that's all they could see was the right. fan service. Right. Um, 
there's definitely a certain amount of it, particularly in the first episode. There's much less of it in episode two. First episode, yeah. there's a certain amount of it. I mean, I have to be, I mean, I love the theme to first contact, but there's a lot of first contact homages. That's one of several first contact homages in the first episode. And I'm okay with little, little, like little homages to it that don't pull you out of the story. But I have to say, like, again, very positive about these first two episodes, but using the first contact suite as the end credits music, I was like, I'm like not okay with it. Yeah, I was a little surprised they went that way. And it's not just for episode one, like it continues. Yeah, that's the that's the end credit. Well, part of the end credit music. It's for the it's the end credit music for the above the line people, basically. And then it goes into a different credit. Oh score. yeah, but like the like end credit sequence at the end at the cut of right. the episode is the first right. contact suite. Right. And like to me, maybe this is one of the fewer times where like my personal trek generation like the stuff's closest to my heart is being tread upon because like i love the original series right but i didn't grow up with it and right. like even some stuff from tng like i like one of the things i connect to the most in trek is the movie first contact it's mm. probably the thing i've seen the most and like that suite like i can put that on my car and pump up the volume and like cr start crying and like like tr you know just getting into the music my friend actually used that as her music the music at her wedding when she walked down the aisle Wow, was that sweet. And so it's like really important to me. And it just felt like random when they threw it at the end. I was like, wait, what? Well, I wouldn't call it random. I mean, it, it feels, I mean, it feels associated with, with what they're doing to some degree, but, but yeah, it surprises me that it's not just using its own original yeah. theme and being its own thing in that sense especially because the music that they're using throughout the show i love i think it's fantastic yeah yeah they have a new composer this season and that's another thing that feels more right now than it has even the end credit music that plays after the first contact is very trekish yeah and there's you can feel almost homages to other motifs not copies right. but i felt like there was even some homages to the the jj abrams music in certain parts, like certain little motifs within the music, um, yeah. which I loved. I thought, and like with, like I said, without copying it directly. So, and there's right. fewer, there's fewer abuses of the sting, as I call it, the dun, 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 dun. I, I'm, I'm guessing we're going to hear that though before this is over. <sighs> I know, I know. That's okay, there, though. As long as it's not overdone and it's done in the right spot, it doesn't. it's totally fine. I feel know? like, like, if it were me, you could use that, like, twice, maybe in an entire season. Because yeah. it's, like, a reminder that you're going back to the the OG right. instead of, like, reminding you every few minutes. Like, hey, remember Star Trek? Right. But there's less of that. I feel like they use the fan service to, as an access point to get you into this into the season and then it kind of diminishes it, it's there there's no question but like it they start to and you know as we've discussed fan service isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's presented the right way yeah if it's weaved into what you're doing i'm okay with it provided you don't overdo it but yeah yeah i don't feel like we're at that point yet some people, a lot of people have said that the first episode, they thought it was very overdone with the fan service. I, I didn't have that initial reaction, but I can understand why people would. Yeah. But like we've said, it drops off a cliff, I think, in, in episode two. 
and I'm expecting that it's going to continue to decline in terms of the overt, right? You know, remember Star Trek? Yeah, there are certain nonverbal things that come up that that are also salutes. They don't get into it. They just they're just kind of there. Like for instance, we can get into this if we want to start talking about the episodes themselves. Like that jacket Beverly is wearing is the collar and everything else is very Wrath of Khan. The field jackets from the Wrath of Khan. She's wearing something very similar. But like that makes sense. Like you said, it's like there would be certain like sort of fashion motifs right Right. in real life that would right right carry out. So that that I'm totally fine with because it's not like like that. That's what I mean. Not it's not like it. stopping the the exposition to remind you of a thing and then going right, back into right, it. Right, right. Um, anyway, there there are definitely other instances of the fan service that the font at the beginning of the show is. Oh yeah, is the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, you know, and the first thing it says in the 25th century is a complete homage to in the 23rd century. And the episode title is in the show on the screen. Yeah, in blue lettering. Yep. That's that, nice that, that as, it, as it should be. Yes, absolutely. So let's get into this a little bit. So the, the, the show opens up with Beverly on the Ilios, her ship, and it's under attack. We don't really know who these creatures are that are going after her, but they are clearly unhappy. We see her block access to the area she's going into. We don't see the person she's blocking out. We know who it is later, but we don't know who or why she's stopping him from following her. We still don't yeah. know that. And then Beverly gets into this gunfire exchange with a with a phaser rifle. You cock, by the way. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Which was kind of cool. We've never seen that yeah. before. I mean, yeah. is it particularly Star Trek? No, but it kind of no. from a physical, well, but but fun little bit of physical business where she can cock it and then fire it. And yeah. Then, so anyway, she gets into this gun fight, phaser fight battle, ends up wounded, and ends up, you know, oh, we should get it, before we get even further into this, we should probably talk about the opening shot that lingers on various things on her ship before we see Beverly. Uh-huh. Like a box that says Jack Crusher on it? Jack Crusher, right. There, I think her orchids are on there too, right? Because Be- Beverly was into orchids, wasn't she? Because wasn't it cause and effect, wasn't she in... Cause and effect, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. I didn't get that. What that callback I was. I think that was from cause and effect. There's a bunch of stuff, yeah, on the desks, right? It's like panning through that room, right? And then she's playing one of Picard's log entries, which mm-hmm. like, that's right, yep. best of both worlds. When the Enterprise was fleeing into the nebula, so ultimately that plays out right away because the Ilios, the last thing Beverly does, they do before they go into the credits is they warp toward what appears to be a nebula. Yeah. As if she was looking back to say, you know, almost what would Picard do? Right. Right. So ultimately she ends up in a lot of trouble. She gets injured and sends a distress signal that Picard, she routes, somehow routes to Picard's old comm badge. That was a neat, that was a neat little thing. That was neat. And then he ends up using a first contact homage in order to unlock it. Mm Mm-hmm. I forget the two something blah, 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 Alpha Tango, and that opens it. But that's that's I think that's the code he uses at the beginning of First Contact after he wakes up from his startle from that Borg dream he had. Oh yeah, with the thing going in his eye. Yeah, uh. yeah. So finds out Beverly is in trouble. 
she sends him this thing, tells him to trust no one. Yeah. That's don't go to Starfleet. It's a little bit of a mystery box. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we don't know why she feels that way. We may find out soon. And that's what I was wondering when she first locks question question mark person into like out of the bridge and they're banging on the door. I'm thinking, is this person someone she trusted? But now they're like, she's worried that they're being taken over by an alien or something. So she can't trust them or she just can't take the risk not to trust, you know, to trust them. So that's why she's like, that was my first thought was because of that message. Right. So Picard gets this message, grabs Riker very quickly. They go to Guinan's bar. Guinan's not at the bar. No. And there's a bunch of Eagle Moss ships. Uh huh. With was the fun, exact with the Eagle Moss stand, they the didn't even thing. make yeah, a yeah, new yeah. stand for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Which was great. I thought it was that was fun. That, they I must think have it's got cute. I ben Robinson. Cute. Ben Robinson must have really gotten a kick out of that when they asked him to do that. Like, to, to be fair, it doesn't look. It does look a little bit out of universe. It like does. little plastic stand things. But if you know, you know, I guess. And yeah. it's kind of cute. I'm like yeah. looking below my TV. I have a couple of those with that exact stand. And I'm like, oh, it looks familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they find out that, that the, the code that she gives, which is called Hellbird. Yeah. Is that something we were supposed to remember? No, I believe that's a retcon. Okay. Because they're um, like, yeah, you, of course you wouldn't have known that because you were. Yeah, I don't recall anything like that happening during Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, but they're like, you were like. Locutus? Incapacitated. Yeah, you were Incapacitated right. at the time. Yeah. Right. So I like that they give that reasoning why Picard wouldn't know it. I was just making sure that I didn't forget something. I like, hmm. don't recall anything remotely like that. Okay. Um, I, don't, I think we would remember that, that kind of code word too. Yeah. So they unlock it and. Find out that these coordinates lead to a, an area right outside Federation space. As always. As always. So they decide that they have to go rescue her. They have to figure out how to do it without drawing too much attention. So somehow Riker thinks it's a good idea to call up his old ship and see if he can bullshit his way. <laughs> Did everyone else know that this was a terrible idea when he first... God. said it because i was like this is a terrible idea this is a terrible idea especially just the two of them like they are like two old dudes they are and they didn't ha- if it were like you know search for spock situation where they had like people in all these different places to to help them yeah like steal a ship that would be a slightly more realistic but yeah. they're just like let's just like fucking turn up and yeah. like so it's not a well thought out plan. No, it's ultimately. Really not. And so we get to meet Captain Liam Shaw. Yeah, screw that guy. Who who sniffs out what they're doing pretty quickly. Um he's an interesting character. We gotta talk about Shaw a bit because I think yeah. he's, he's he's definitely becoming a a popular figure in in the fandom at the moment. I'm um, worried that they made him too irredeemable. So here's what I here's what I think. I think my this is my personal feeling about it. I think he has every right to be mad. Absolutely. I think he knows they're both full of shit. Absolutely. But I also think that the way he handles them initially at the dinner table and then in the quarters he puts them in is being is going out of your way to be an asshole. Oh yeah, and the fact that he won't even call Seven by her chosen name is just beyond the pale. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. And he's a terrible leader. He's like not on the bridge. He's just 
like screwing off in his own what in his own quarters or whatever where like work is happening on the bridge and so far he seems like a terrible leader terrible person like yeah i get that he has a right to be mad and that he has a right to be a little bit of a dick but he seems like he's going out of his way to demean people yeah although he does believe in seven enough to let her leave doc he doesn't even come to the bridge he lets her do it well that's what i mean by like he wasn't even there like I guess he trusts her, but it seems like he just like couldn't be bothered. That's the impression I got. I don't know if I get the idea that he, he he talks about how the ship runs like clockwork, and like he seems to take great pride in the fact that he crosses every T and dots every I. He quotes mm. regulations a couple of times. He's very kind of like you know, not entirely by the book, but pretty by the book kind of a starship captain. Hmm. Um, I just find him interesting because he's like a. It, and, and this is one of the things I like about this season so far is that he's not a great person, but he's also not completely wrong about some of the things he's arguing about. Like in episode two, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that they've gotten dragged this far into this situation. And he's right. He's oh, yeah, worried about he two or three people when he's got 500 people on that ship. I mean, he's completely right about that. He is. He is. They have no business being there. No, they don't. The it Titan has no idea. business being there. That is Riker's fault, that, and Riker and Picard's fault that they are there. Yeah, and you know he's got to. You know, and I think about how Picard and Kirk used to deal with this too. You get these dignitaries, these admirals, and these ambassadors, the and all these other people that come on the ship and are a pain in the ass. And Picard and Riker were doing exactly that, and they were being, and they were interfering a lot. Yes, they were, but I can't. I'm looking back at times that happened on Kirk's Enterprise, and he wouldn't have acted like that. He would have given them the respect that the title deserves up until a point where he felt that they were crossing too many lines, and he'd be like, "No, this is my ship." Like, right. Well, that's kind control. of what he was trying to do. I mean, at but he wouldn't point... like invite them to dinner and then have already eaten. And then no, no, that was horrible. All that stuff was and... terrible. But that has nothing to do with being a, the captain of the ship. I don't know. I kind of think it does. I mean, I think it shows what kind of a person he is and what kind of a leader he is. And like, especially how he treats seven of nine to me, he he's like gaslit her and is a completely toxic person. Like she's depressed and miserable and hates her life. That's not a good leader. But see, this is what I mean though. Like there's all these shades to it. There's very interesting stuff here. Like he's horrible at certain things and he's right about others. Just because he's right though, doesn't mean he's a good leader good no captain. of course not but that's not that's not the point i'm trying to make here sure it's less there's less of a binary going on with with the characters in this season it's like he's mostly he's, there's a certain jellico vibe to this guy there really is and that's been pointed out too yeah yeah i can see that you know um it's just interesting to see them layer the guy so he's yeah okay he's not great at this he's wrong about this and he's not great at this but he's got a great point about this and this and this and this and it's interesting to watch Picard and Riker not be right. Yeah, yeah. They are not right. No. They have no business being on that ship, endangering those people, nothing. They have no reason to be there. Yeah. And at the end of episode two, when Picard countermands him because all of a sudden he finds out he's got a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's like, I mean, boy, oh boy, that's a lot. So how do we feel about Beverly and and John Luke's kid? Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I sometimes I wonder if he's actually his kid, or if he's 
a blend of him and somebody else. In well, here, I mean, we're going all over the place here, but it's just it's that kind of a show. Um, he, I don't know. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've noticed in the end credits, there's a, there's a DNA helix in the end mm-hmm. credits. Yeah. So I'm like, is he some kind of clone situation? I wonder is if, he... well, he wouldn't exactly be a clone of Jack Crusher because then Picard would recognize him. Yeah. Yeah, true. But I kind of wonder if he is a blend of Jack and Jean-Luc somehow. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of uh, totally out there. It's total random speculation, but something's going on regarding genetic engineering or DNA sequence. Something's going on. And I think Beverly was probably into some stuff that maybe went a little too far, maybe. Hmm. I mean, there's yeah, a reason those there's a reason that they those I mean, assuming it's not just Jack's fault, but there's gotta be a reason that they're these aliens and everybody is after them. Yeah. Well, and we we learn that Jack is a quote unquote intergalactic criminal, which yeah. really bothered me. Because what other galaxies is he going to? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> this is another time where Star Trek messes up the difference between the galaxy and the universe. I yes. Think. Yeah. Like we know Star Trek takes place in basically the Milky one Way. quadrant typically of right. the galaxy. Of the Milky Way galaxy. Right. Yeah. So that bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it turns out he's a bit of a confidence man. Now we're gonna find out whether that he was if he's necessarily on the good side of things or he's just a flat out con man the way he behaves in that flashback sequence at the beginning of episode two suggests that he is a bit of a true con man yeah or a bit of both he's kind of slippery yes yeah for sure and maybe he has good intentions but still he has like bad yeah so yeah so so yeah it's going to be interesting to see there's definitely more than what there appears to be to him yeah, and the fact that this like massive ship, like that's not your typical bounty hunter ship. No, no. That's like a warship. Right. So something's going on. That's yeah. Yeah, that's why it makes even more sense if he's the the outcome of some genetic thing. Yeah. If he could be used like if some there's something in his DNA that they that the people on the Shrike need, which also great name. Great ship name. I love yeah. that call out. Yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it's it's more like, and they want him alive. Like they don't want him as a prisoner of just because he's a con artist, right? Like, definitely, right? Yeah, they want something from him, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, to be continued with him. As for the revelation, that, I mean, assuming he, that it is true and he is the child of Beverly and Jean Luc Picard. <sighs> Yeah, exactly. Boring. Yeah, I mean, we, we've already had that happen. You know, it's kind of a, you know, with David Marcus and stuff. It's just like, do we mm-hmm. have to always have this, like, you know, this kid that the captain doesn't know about? Yeah. Kind of thing. Although Kirk knew about David. We didn't, but he did. Picard did not know about no. Jack. And there is some question, and this may have more to do with the age of the actor than anything, but he seems older than he should be. The son? Yeah. Jack? Yeah. yeah, he looks older because they're saying they haven't seen each other in 20 years. Or well, even a little over 20, but he looks he, like he's about 30. Like 30, yeah. yeah. Now, but again, like genetic said, stuff. Yeah, or you can just chalk that up. Dramatic license, you cast the best actor yeah. you, you need and that's all that I was thinking that too. Yeah. Well, and okay, do you think they're ever going to like explain the accent? Uh, 
according to, so I tweeted about that the other day and Terry tweeted to me and said it will be explained. Okay. Cuz otherwise it's Yeah, it's like what did, is it all of a sudden our accent suddenly genetic? genetic? <laughs> yeah. Mm, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah, oh, and I want to talk about one other thing. How weird is it that Be- Beverly named her son after her dead husband? Yeah. Mm. That is not only but is not even with him is with now is with another man. Yeah. I guess. But then they were best friends, Jack and Jean-Luc. Mm, I could believe it. Yeah. I could believe it. I, I can probably, see why I, it would be a little weird, but I can see why someone would do it. Yeah. And because it's been so long. Jack's yeah. been dead for, what, 40 years? Of yeah, time? I know. I wonder what Wesley would think about that, though. Yeah. He might be a yeah. little weirded out by that. Yeah, maybe. It's, yeah, because his dad's name is Jack. I don't know. And maybe Jack was a family name that went back farther. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I do could find see it. it. I do find it curious though that that Beverly has Jack's, I don't know what you call that locker or whatever that. But is that OG Jack Crusher's locker or is I would that think new so. Jack Crusher? Well, he's not in Starfleet. The new Jack Crusher. Oh, true. Yeah, of course. That it's is a, a that is Starfleet. Box That's thing, a Starfleet. It? Yeah, it's like a foot. I guess their equivalent of like a Foot Locker. I yeah, because you're right. When I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, Jack Crusher, interesting." It's like her, she has her husband's stuff, and yeah. that makes sense. So, but why does she have it there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say maybe just because, but like everything in that scene was supposed to be some kind of. There's a, yeah, there's a tip off for something else, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I like your idea of the blended DNA situation. Yeah, we'll see. It certainly feels like it's going that direction. So we'll have to see. I think it's going to be a while before we find out. That's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else we got to talk about? Well, we, we haven't talked about. <laughs> So, in my opinion, we've so far talked about, like, the most interesting part of the show, but we haven't talked at all about the B story. Rafi. Rafi. Yeah, poor Rafi. I know, like, there's parts of it that I like. Yes, me too. But I'm also, like, every time it goes back to Rafi, I'm like, yawn, get back to the Titans. Uh, Only, no, the only time it's boring with Rafi is when she's on the La Serena talking to a screen. Yeah. <laughs> or doing yeah. or doing Google image searches. Oh my god, I know. That's Seriously. the stuff I know. The stuff in the La Serena is painful. When she's out and about, I like that stuff. Yeah, it was it was so like I don't know, it was a little too obvious to me that she was faking being an addict or whatever, but whatever, that's fine. Well, it looks like she's going to that could end up being a challenge to her again since the undercover part is starting to get a little too invasive into her life it looks like. Yeah. Um it's curious, you know, they didn't drag out the mystery of who she's talking to for very long, which is good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Thank you. That and is very sh- good. And we should get to that right away. She's talking to Worf, mm-hmm. who's apparently now in Starfleet Intelligence somehow. Sure. Well, well maybe as like a Klingon envoy. Maybe, situation. but he's clearly involved in Starfleet Intelligence because she's Starfleet Intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, you would think that the Klingons and the... And Starfleet would have some kind of like crossover intelligence operation. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because I guess Worf is not in, currently in Starfleet. Then I wouldn't think so. Yeah, yeah. The last time we saw him in Nemesis, he was in Starfleet. So yeah, true. So yeah, you, they spend a lot of time trying to. She's trying to find out all this information about the red, the red, red lady, lady, the red lady. I love how she, she like legit just Googles Red Lady. Yeah. Google image search. I was like, come on. 
Like, that's not how this works. Yeah. Uh, it's Rachel Garrett. Uh-huh. The captain of the Enterprise C. Yeah, that was a nice little call out. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing she's looking for, by the way, is this quantum tunneling technology. I believe that's what they call it. Yeah. It's a it's a portal weapon. Yes, which whose danger, dangerous properties are pretty obvious when <laughs> once that you see with them actually use it. When they take, was it a recruitment center, I believe? Yeah, I was like, I wish they had made that a little more clear that she, that's where she was going. Because it made it seem like it was all of Starfleet headquarters. Yeah, and it's not even on Earth, I don't think. It's a, it's a district. Oh, really? I don't know if that was Earth or not. I think it was, it, she kept saying District 17? Is that what I? Oh, I mean, that could I'm be not, Earth. I'm, recall, oh. I'm not recalling right now. I didn't know if she was actually at Earth or not. That could have been I assumed any... she was. At first, the first thing I assumed was that it was Starfleet like headquarters. When I saw it, I was like, holy shit, like why yeah. would they destroy Starfleet headquarters? Like that's too much. Right. And then later I realized slash learned that it was like a little outposty type thing. Right. It was like a demonstration basically to show what what we could do with this technology if we want to kind of a Cause thing. I think they said like a hundred and something people died, like a smaller number than would have been. At, I think they said something yeah, like, like that. A lot of people, but like a oh, smaller no, number. Than, You're right. 117 because Worf ends up telling her you could be the number 118. Okay. Careful. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. So that was when I was like, okay, that wasn't Starfleet headquarters. Right. Right. Yeah. So obviously this is going to play into the whole season. Rafi is eventually, her storyline is going to eventually cross over into what's yeah, happening with the TNG characters and they'll probably all get together and, and that'll, but yeah, watching some of that, her talking to screen stuff was kind of painful. Yeah. I felt bad for Michelle Hurt. She did her, she was selling it as hard as she could. She's basically talking to nobody. Yeah. Like, so I gave her credit for that, doing, dealing with it. But I was like, Ooh, yeah. Every time we, they went back to her when she was on the La Serena, I was like, Oh my God, please. No. I know. And I don't know. I thought, I felt like she tried to inject like maybe too much acting. Yeah. Well, can you blame her? <laughs> I know. I don't want to say that she's overacting because that's like a huge insult, but it felt like, it felt like a little too much. Well, Rafi's kind of a very high strung person to begin with. So it kind of stayed in character. I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like she went over the top with it or anything like that. That's yeah. kind of the character. I suppose. You know? So, yeah, a bit of a non sequitur, but can we circle back, you know, speaking of weapons, let's circle back to that opening scene again with Beverly. Yes. With the attack on her ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's using this this cockable <laughs> phaser rifle, right. but um, it apparently leaves some kind of uh, residue yes. behind. Yeah, and both Picard and Riker have said that they've never seen a weapon like that before. Yeah, they're like, this isn't the phaser, like a normal phaser fire right, situation. Right, I mean, so I'm wondering if, so, well, that ship is now gone bye-bye, but like, they wonder <laughs> if they would scan the residue to find out what exactly, you know, that was. Yeah, yeah, because there's another thing that they haven't gone back to, is who are these creatures? Who are these unknown aliens? Yeah, I assume they have something here. to do with Vatic. Yeah, I think so too, and I think... Because we've seen, uh, it seems like there's multiple different, it's not like a single race that's that's after Jack. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, we're, maybe that's that's part of it, right? We're seeing all these different people, all that look different, that look um, alien in ways that we've seen or not before. Right. Um, so there's definitely something there. Because it's clearly not like, 
I mean, to me, it's clear that there's not, you know, eight different planets looking for this guy because no one's ever heard of him. Starfleet apparently isn't really aware of him, and at least not on a major scale. Right. So, yeah, he's an intergalactic criminal, but on the, I mean, according to them, on the con man level, not on the, like, terrorist level of there's multiple right. planetary governments. Right, he's like a Harry Mudd type. So I don't know if these people are mercenaries or part of some splinter group or something, but it's clearly like there's multiple right. entities involved right. coming together. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we just, we, we were, were curious about that phaser and those people and... The only thing, other thing I'll say about that scene is I have to say it was a little off-putting to be one of the opening scenes for me. It's like Beverly Crusher, the medical doctor who would always uphold her Hippocratic Oath, is in a firefight with aliens. Yeah, but but that drives home then what kind of situation she's in. What would push Beverly Crusher to get to that point? In a vacuum, I agree. Like if that was the opening episode, uh, opening scene of an episode of TNG, immediately tells you what you need to know about how desperate she is. Mm Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was an opening scene in an episode of a new, new Trek series, I was just like, oh, here we go again. Everyone's just shooting at each other in the dark. Oh, there's my other biggest, biggest, oh, biggest yeah. gripe. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. way too... I've already used my one F-bomb for this this episode podcast, so I'm going to use a, a second one because it's way too fucking dark. <laughs> it is. Way too dark. Like in like in the med bay, you can't see anything. Yeah. And they're in the on the Ilios on um uh the crusher ship. Yeah. They're in this like workshop area and it's so dark. You would want it to be brightly lit so you could see what you were doing. Yeah. I, I don't obviously clearly a stylistic choice. Uh not terribly realistic. I cannot imagine why you would want to have a work environment where it is that dark all the time. I don't know and about you, Kayla, but if I worked in an environment that dark all the time, I'd be falling asleep constantly. I'd be depressed. That too. And you're in the vacuum of space. It's like being out on a ship or in a submarine, right? You yeah. need something to pretend like you're on Earth yeah. with the sun. Right. You don't need to have the flat light like TNG did. No. With the no, bridge. I'm not saying Wait, that needs to go that far. No, but like you've got to like, yeah. You know how you know how it was done well? In Generations. John Alonzo, the way John Alonzo shot the Enterprise in Generations. Yeah, yeah, because it was dark. It was darker, but it it was functionally dark. Yeah, you weren't squinting to try to see who was sitting next to you. Right. It was functionally dark. I hate it. I hate it. It's way too dark. And I've heard people say, oh, it's just a symptom of, you know, the way modern television is made. I'm like, "Mm, not when it's this dark. No, it's quite dark. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, that one episode of Game of Thrones dark. Like I got to turn all the lights off in my house to watch Picard. Well, I know a few people that have complained, I guess, depending on what kind of display you have. Some people have had a really hard time seeing stuff. And my TV is kind of old. It's an older one. So it's not the, um, you know, the um, OLED or like OLED can produce like amazing blacks, right? right? Because it can actually turn off. The, the pixel completely right. so it's truly black my right. tv doesn't do that yeah i have so, an oled tv so it looks good on my tv but it's still too damn dark it's still too yeah but at least you have more contrast mine's a little bit gray wash because it's not an oled tv so it's, it's an led like, it's an led tv it's an led tv yeah, yeah it's an they, older have, one, they have black so. levels are not great on led tvs yeah so they lost a, i lose a lot of contrast because of that yeah that is only that is my only complaint about the ships themselves other than that i love the exterior of the Titan. I love the interior of the Titan. Mm-hmm. It's just the light levels. I agree. And there is, you know, so another thing I'd like to say in general, and this is sort of related to that about this season so far is 
it has some stumbling blocks, but they're they're stumbling blocks that feel to me like the first season of a new show. It feels like like episode one had like pilot episode syndrome. Well, yeah, it's restarting. Well, it's also trying to soft reboot the show. But it really feels so. A lot of the I think if this were the first season of a show, it would make a lot of sense in terms of you see what they're laying out and you can understand how they're going to evolve and change and grow and make things a little different. So I could see if there was a second season of the show, I could see it lightening up a bit. I could see some of the characters falling into place a bit because it just, to me, it has like first season syndrome and that, that that's not a bad thing. Right. It's just, I think it's actually a good thing in terms of the negative things about it. I think can be chalked up to growing pains basically is what I'm saying. That may go away pretty quickly. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Um, but there's only 10 episodes for them to do it. Yeah, I know. The problem is Terry's trying to give you the new lay of the land and he has to do it really relatively quickly. Yeah. yeah, he has to tell you where everybody is now. He's got there's a lot of narrative housekeeping that has to be done because he's got to bring everybody back. Oh, what have you been up to? That kind yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah. And that, that is the problem with reunion shows. You, ha- you uh-huh. have you have to service you have to service that stuff. Yeah, yeah, they can't just show up out of nowhere. Yeah. Should we talk about our adversary? Yeah, we haven't even talked about her. Vadik, Vadik, Vadik. Yes, played shrink. by Amanda Plummer. Who is the daughter of Christopher Plummer, the legendary actor who played Chang in The Undiscovered Country and is was just and, a legend. And a legend. Georg in um, Sound of Music. Yes. Like, yeah. Christopher Plummer is a legend of the stage, legend of film. Yeah, a legendary actor. Um, an old colleague, an old friend of William Shatner's. They worked together at Stratford. Um, he, he understudied Shatner, understudied Plummer, I believe in, I want to say Hamlet. I could be wrong, but I think no, it was no. Hamlet. Um, Amanda Plummer is probably best known for being in Pulp Fiction. She's in the beginning. She's, you know, Honey Bunny. Any of you pricks move, I'll execute every, 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 every motherfucker, last one of you, that, that lady <laughs> in the know. diner. I was trying not to curse again, but uh, I get the idea. <laughs> She's in she's in the beginning, the pre credit sequence of Pulp Fiction, and then later on when they come back. Okay. She's in that. She's in that. I, I recognize her from her famous role as the German lady from Austin Powers. She was in Austin Powers? No, I'm kidding. But oh, Vatic, Frau Fl- as oh, Frau Florbisna? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Somebody but, said her haircut is very Ed Grimm. This this is a dated reference. I don't know if you you will get this. Her haircut's very Ed Grimley. Mm. That was a character that Martin Short played on Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, her haircut looked just like that. Yeah, yeah. She. All I can see is that the the woman from Austin Powers. <laughs> I'm like, is she German? Is she a Nazi? That was like my first question. When well, I yeah, her. she's like uh, she's like Frau Blucher and uh, Young Frankenstein. You ever seen Young Frankenstein? Yes. Yeah, I have. That's yeah, a great movie. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So but, I don't really understand the look, but. Anyway, right. she's. Anyway. I don't really. I'm not getting. I'm not too hung up on that. I, I'm. I always enjoy watching her. So it's. She's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's really fantastic. She's, in, she's clearly enjoying it. Yeah. Much like her father did when he played Chang, like they're kind of diving into the theatrical part of it. And yeah. her um, her introduction, um, when she comes on the, 
on the screen reminded me very much of um, Star Trek 2009. Hello, Christopher. Yeah, she does that. Yeah. I wonder if that was a direct reference or. It's possible. It's possible. Um, I noticed she's got a spinning chair. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like Chang. I wonder if at one point she's going to scream out, cry havoc, and let's slip the dogs of war. <laughs> You know? That's a little too fancy. It would probably be a little too on the nose. But yeah, I think exactly. I think they, they, they're definitely spinning her in that chair, though. You know, That's hilarious. Yeah. That, that's like a little nod without getting too too cute about it. You know what I mean? Um, so she's... We don't really know too much about her. She clearly wants, as we discussed earlier, they want Jack Crusher for unknown reasons. But outside yeah. of that, we don't know much about her, really. Except, no, she's her, a completely unknown entity, and, that her and her ship, ship is badass. Her ship is badass. It kind of reminded me of... Uh, the Narada? Sh- yeah, the Narada. Or, mm-hmm. or uh, Shinzon's ship. Yes. Nemesis. Yeah, the, like, these things, these, these menacing-looking ships that are so overloaded with weapons that they could, you know... And they're kind of even poised, like almost like a scorpion, Yeah, you know, where they're kind of coming around and pointing towards their right. their adversary. Yeah, so yeah, there's, there were certain homages. I don't know if they were homages directly, but they certainly reminded me of that. That, that combined with the, the... Does she call him William Shaw? Because his name is Liam. Liam, she called him but Liam. But is it short for William? She says, hello, Liam, or something. She puts a, calls him by his first name, and it's just like the hello, Christopher. Yeah, and she knew his psychological profile too, which I thought was interesting. She started like going after his... Trying, trying to get into his head. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. She knew who Picard was instantly. She doesn't uh-huh. talk to, yeah, she she talk to anybody else. She doesn't she talk to anybody else. So she doesn't address Riker or Seven. Mm. Just the two of them. So it's, yes. So it makes you wonder if she's got somebody on the ship who's cluing her into these things. Because why does she know so much about who's on the ship and what they're all about? How does she know? How does how did she get access to Shaw's psychological profile to start like? trying to get into his head How yeah because that that's like a would be like a sealed relatively sealed you would think record. so at mm-hmm. least private because that's publicly ident- uh, personal identifiable information pii right. right so that's interesting beyond that though it's a great great uh well well noticed on that one oh, thank you but other than that she kind of is pretty glib about the whole thing well, she knows she has the upper hand. Yeah. She can be glib if she wants. Yeah. She can do whatever she wants. If she wanted to destroy them, she would have done it. I know, but I kind of like the fact that she's a little bit of glib about it and she's not doing like that teeth gnashing, mustache, mustache twirling bullshit. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. I was like, because yeah. like, it, it puts you a little off guard because you don't really know what the hell she's, what, what she's about at you all. You don't know her, what she wants. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that her ship is taking an aggressive, like you said, by its, by its, by dent. By its posture. Its just... po- yeah. It's clearly designed. To, to intimidate. Yes. Yeah. And Maybe. she is, you know, talking about the way that a, she talks about the Shrike, you know, as her ship's called the Shrike. Right. And she talks about the way that a Shrike attacks. Right. So, yeah. So it's still early days with her. We don't know enough about her to really venture much more beyond what we've done. Uh, I must admit, they did one thing that I had never seen before when they took a tractor beam and flung one ship at another one. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I've never seen that either. I was like, that was pretty cool. And Shaw did not react right away. I was like, dude, that thing's coming at you. Will you get the hell out of the way? Like, he kind of freezes for a second. I'm like, move! But <laughs> I, like, I want another thing talking about being Trek-like. Like, they make the right 
quote unquote right calls on the bridge. Like you get to the point where you're watching a show and you can shout out what um what the captain should be saying. In yeah, response. that's what I was doing when Evasive I was watching. maneuvers, you know, whatever, you know, all this stuff, attack pattern delta, whatever. You 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 know what they're supposed to say. You know what they're right. going to say, and he, like that happens. Evasive maneuvers at the right moment, and so it's like, okay, good. You know how the sharp captain right. is supposed to react to these right. things. And I just like the way it kind of scrapes the hull of the Titan. Like there was the way they did that was really cool. Yeah, it's like they're doing these, um, the Shrike is giving them like a shot across the bow, but like along the bow. Right. Like it's like more than a warning shot. It's like, we're going to destroy half of your ship. That's the warning. Right. Holy shit. Right. We haven't even fired on you yet. That was just the power of our tractor beam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to? More of, less of... I am looking forward to seeing the rest of our friends when they finally arrive. And I'm glad they're all coming little by little as opposed to all at once. You know? <laughs> um, it seems like Deanna might be next. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much she's in it. Yeah, Marina doesn't live in the States anymore. After her husband passed away, she moved back to the UK. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how much she's going to be in it. Yeah, we'll see. And then we have Jordy, which we should talk about. Okay. Because Let's... there's something in the end credits, and there's something connected, which I think is connected to Jordy. And the first episode, Picard mentions that Jordy runs the Starfleet Ship Museum. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the end credits, as I'm sure a lot of people have noticed, there is a thing that, that there's a listing of the ships that are in that museum or at least some of the ships that are in that museum and they are the voyager the uss oh my handwriting is horrendous <laughs> i feel like it says pisner but i that may not be right sorry about that folks but it looks like it looks like a tos it's like an ncc 1500 so it's like a tos era ship maybe even a little older than the tos era then the enterprise a and the excelsior so I would imagine since those are, being those are mentioned in the end credits, we're probably going, not necessarily they're going to be in action or anything, but I suspect we will see them because Jordy will be, there's no reason to put that there and, and connect and then have mentioned that Jordy's running the museum if you're not going to show them. We should do a short little podcast about everything that's in the end credits and what we predict how we predict they're connected to the story. Right. Cause there's a lot, maybe you could do the end credits. Oh, we can talk about the end credits here. I mean, I made a list of stuff. Okay. So yeah, there's, so, so let's do that then. Let's talk about the end credits. I'm just going to go through, I've, I've pulled it up actually here and let's go through it. Okay. Um. So, okay. There's, there's a schematic of what I think is the Shrike and like an yeah. alien inter- an interface on a on a panel a, com- a computer panel right on the ship. and i have speculated is that the one that has the alien language on it yes yeah and it's got like a golden colored um uh schematic of what looks like the shrike there's right. an alcar's uh, look yeah alcar's interface i don't see any easter eggs in like the numbers that are written there oh what did that say bird of prey there's a ship schematic, and it's pointing out different parts of the ship. There's Klingon, secondary waveform accelerator. It's yeah. pointing out different parts on the Bird of Prey. There is the um, the double helix. Yep. It's this very techy-looking double helix, too. Mm-hmm. 
almost looks like sort of like isolinear chip type lines making up the AC. Oh, that's a good, I didn't even notice that. That's a good point. I mean, not quite, but it's futuristic looking. It's not just little bars. It's like a little design. So spinning double helix. Okay, holodeck programming. We know what that's an homage to. So Mm. spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the trailers, um, but our favorite uh, holodeck adversary um, is coming back. Right. This is Holodeck Program Initiating, Hollis Weekend's Program, 10 Forward Bar LA. So we know that already takes place there. Um, there's something that looks like maybe a, a date. is V.012113. So it could be January 21st, 2013, maybe? Maybe. And then 12111003M. Not sure what that means. Someone will know what that means. Uh, processing safety protocols offline, of course. Um, there's a there's music notes. Yes, um, and there's been speculation about what those notes mean. In six eight time, I'm not sure what key that is. Two sharps, whatever key that is. Um, is that six eight? One two three four five six. That's so weird. Time signature actually. It's in like seven eight, but it says six eight. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure what that is. Oh no, I'm wrong. It isn't. It is. I think in six eight one two three one two three four five six. Yeah, okay, I was wrong. It's in six eight. Um, yeah, I should try playing that and see what it sounds like. I think someone already has done that, and I just didn't see what it was. Okay, so there's the music playing. Now there's like a a, a head with like a map like inside the head. Yes. Like I think it's a head, like a skull. Yep. With like neuron map or something. Yep. There's a blurry L cars looking interface. There is now a ship, uh, a Starfleet ship, which is probably the Titan, I guess. The Titan A. It looks like the Titan, yeah. Okay, a st- official Starfleet <laughs> war damage report. USS Constance Constellation Constellation, Constellation class. class, right. Status lost in action, comma redacted. Yeah, so so that's interesting. That's interesting, and that, the constellation class was the original stargazer. Okay, there's the Titan A again. There is a starbase, and there's something that says NCC eight hundred one hundred seven. Oh, there's a starbase with what looks like the Defiant circling it and the Voyager circling it. Ah, that's yeah. the museum. Yeah, probably that, that's got to be the museum because that's the Voyager for sure. Okay, another Elkar's interface. Fleet Museum, Atham Prime, USS Voyager, USS Pioneer. Pioneer, thank you. Sorry about my USS Enterprise A. Um, some more Elkar's stuff. Transmission encrypted passcode required. Myriad codec authorization. Picard 47 Alpha Tango. Alpha Tango, yep. Accessing. Starfleet Officer Performance Evaluation Captain Liam Shaw. So that's probably the the document that Vatic had. Right. Oh yeah, and then uh, do not seek blame, do not seek anger. Um, more. Uh, these are um, DNA sequences, uh, the CGT, CC, AGT, that stuff. Mm. Biomed system three hundred six nine. Yeah, it's got to be Jack. Uh, okay. There's a thing that maybe is the portal weapon. Um, it's like some weird, like blob that looks like it's transmitting yeah. like Wi-Fi signals. Yeah, to I a couldn't make, I was wondering blob. what that was. I was having a hard time making heads and tails out of that. So you think that's what that is? 
I don't know. It says predicted function, and it's something beaming something to somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, it was. Yeah, okay, yeah. The predicted function thing is what threw me off. I was like, what the hell does that even mean? And then alert condition red, micro-neurographic scan, and there's a brain. It's like a brain scan. Right. Then the, the Titan A again, and that's it. I did notice one other thing in there, that there is a whole panel of just like a, a language we don't recognize necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that's Cardassian. Oh, really? At the beginning? Yeah, you know that one where you can't really make heads. Of, it's just a bunch of weird symbols. We, I think, yeah, I think it does. That, it does. It, it is reminiscent of Cardassian. It might be Cardassian, but it's next to what looks like the Shrike. So I was assuming it was related to whatever race they yeah, are. Maybe, maybe it's possible. Anyway, that when I saw it and like when we originally got a good look at it, I was like, God, that that, that looks Cardassian. It definitely looks. Yeah, it almost could even look Ferengi. Maybe, which would make sense. Yeah. Speaking of Ferengi, let's just really quickly, since we didn't mention it, I know we're getting long here, but yeah, what do we think of the Ferengi that Rafi interacts with? Sneed. Sneed. Um, him, well, he looked like a Ferengi. I thought he was great. I really I enjoyed it. He, he behaved like a Ferengi. He, yeah, it felt very natural. He was a pretty, I mean, even for a Ferengi, he was pretty dark character cutthroat yeah cutthroat character i liked the sequence so with the scene with him i thought it was great me too and i thought it ended well as well yeah he got what was coming to him wharf opening up a can of whoop ass that's right so let's let's there yeah speaking of looking forward to that's one thing i'm looking forward to seeing more of wharf because the very little we saw of him i was like holy shit that's wharf it's actually wharf yeah so i think i'm gonna enjoy seeing him him a bit more and i think it's gonna give more of michelle heard like make her scenes more interesting she's yeah. actually interacting with well that's when it, yeah that's when the storylines will probably start to overlap yeah yeah so yeah and we'll find out why wharf is working like we said in some sort of intelligence capacity yeah i am imagining he's coming through the klingon because wasn't that the idea is that he went off to do klingon stuff isn't think, that well at the end of ds9 yeah he wasn't yeah the, the the way they handled him post DS nine and then with Nemesis kind of just putting it back on the Enterprise and letting him go back to being yeah. the tactical officer, that yeah. whole thing didn't feel right. So yeah, so I guess we'll find out whether Terry kind of pushed him back toward the direction he was in DS nine. That's my guess. Yeah, probably. He went off to do Klingon stuff. Yes, and, and maybe you know we can help you know just forget about Nemesis altogether. Yeah, I don't know. No one would mind. <laughs> but the bottom line here is. That we like the show. Yes. And, you know, Kel and I, are, I think, are the most hypercritical of of the the Picard show up to this point. Of the, yeah, of the and Trek the, movie crew. Yeah, we were the I, most, like, I checked so. out. Yeah, and I think we are both excited about this. I mean, I can't remember the last time I actually have a- actively looked forward to watching the show. And I'm yeah. looking forward to this every week now. I have to say, like I said at the beginning of this pod, I'm still very guarded. And so there are times I don't want to watch it because I'm just, I am really worried yeah. that it's going to take a nosedive. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not there yet. If we, I won't be there. I don't think until after the finale of the season. Yeah. I think Terry's going to do right by us. I think this is going to, if things go well enough, I hope that this will guide the franchise in a slightly different direction than it's been going. Yeah. We'll Me see. Too. But, and I want them to, and I don't want the studio to take away the fact that this, the cast is back. 
and then there's all this fan service, which means oh, we got to do more of that. Yeah, no, agreed. Because that's I don't not want the reason them, I don't that we want, like yeah, this. I don't want them to like decide to give William Shatner a show now or something. No, it's all about getting the right tone. It's the tone. It's the heart. It's the like heart. what is the story about? It's not an action shoot 'em up soap opera. It's right, right, and Terry cerebral. Gets that. Right, it's yeah. Smart people doing smart things. Yeah, someone we can look up to. Yeah, so I think Terry's gonna. I think Terry's gonna nail it. I'm very. I com- hope so. I'm pretty confident so. about it. I can't. I hope so. Yeah, and I, I think it, right. it, the 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 fan base definitely deserves this, and the TNG cast deserve a lovely farewell. Yeah. Well, the it's one all, they did not get. It's in the can now, so. Right, it's been in the camp for a while. What we're seeing now, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're seeing now, it's like it's already happened. So right, right. I just have to hope that they did it right. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we're gonna keep watching, and we hope you guys do. I guess depending on how it goes, maybe we come back after the next two. Maybe we'll do it every two, depending on how. Yeah, we'll just feel it out. If we if we can't wait to talk about the next episode, we'll jump on it. Yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. And if you have any other conspiracy theories like us, um, you know, throw them in the in the comments. Um, react to the stuff we've said. Tell us how much you disagree with us. We love yeah, to hear please. it. Yeah, please. By all means. <laughs> um, that's what this is all about, right? That's poking at it and figuring out what it's all about. So. Yep. And before we go, I wanted to make sure to give a big shout out to our newest patron, uh, Samuel Skimmick. Um, thank you so much, Samuel, for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you very much, Samuel. Um, as always, you know, we, we use that sort of as a tip jar. We don't really offer any special, um, perks to our, to our patrons. Um, it's more, you know, we're not in this to try to make a living. We're in this to do it because we love it and we love you guys. And, um, there are costs associated with making this podcast. So if you want to throw us, you know, a couple bucks a month or whatever, we super, super, super appreciate it. Um, so thank you, Samuel, for being our newest patron. Thank you, sir. All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.